key point number two. God is in control and will be faithful to every detail of his promises. So we're taking key point number one, and now we're going to build on that. You know, if we, were, if we were, you know, laying the bricks down, first one's down, let's build upon that. Let's look a little bit closer. So the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, the names of his two sons, sick and tired. Ephrathites, <laughs> that's, that's accurate, uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now, there are some people who are going to say, the details of God's promises are not really that important. And they're going to say, they really don't even matter. And an example would be, you know, people, the term is spiritualize. It's kind of like, um, well, he really didn't mean that he was going to give them an actual land. He meant a home in heaven. He meant land in heaven. I'm pretty sure that Abraham thought that God meant an actual land. And if he didn't, then again, it makes God what? Deceptive. And God is not a God of deception. So we can't go there. We can't, we can't make the assumption that God really didn't mean what he said. So we have to do, then do what? If God is going to be faithful, even in the details, because what? He is going to be true to himself. Next, next year, I've already mapped out my, my sermon series for next year, and we're going to spend much of the year through the book of Genesis. So we're going to get to Genesis 15. But in Genesis 15, and again in Joshua 1, 4, there's, uh, there is the Abrahamic covenant where God says, I'm going to give the promised land to you, Abraham, and here's the dimensions and then in Genesis 15, and again in Joshua 1, he gives us the dimensions. But I want you to hear this. Centuries after Abraham died, the children of Israel took possession of the land under Joshua's leadership. However, at no point in history, even to this day, at no point in history has Israel had control of the land that God had specified in Genesis 15 or in Joshua 1.4. But God made those promises. He says, I will give you this land. And the land is going to be from this point to this point, from this point to this point. Well, what were those points? What, what's going on? Well, I want, you, I want you to see a slide. Cheryl, if you could throw this up. This is the dimensions. If we were to map it out, okay, this is what Genesis 15 and Joshua 1-4, this is how much God promised Abraham. And, and if, I can, if I can point it out, here's a couple of things. He said, as far as the Nile River in Egypt, all the way to the Euphrates River in Iraq, all of that, it will be yours, and no one will ever take it away from you. That's never happened. I believe God is faithful to his promises, even in the details. So if God says, I'm going to give you everything from the Nile to the Euphrates, that's quite a bit. And then he says, even as up to the mountains and to the land of the Hittites. Well, you got to do a little homework there. It's not as easy as Acts was for us earlier. You have to do some homework on that. Where did the Hittites, where did they live? Lebanon and Turkey. 
So, what do we see? What do we see here? Basically, we see that Israel's never been that big. It's never happened. So, there's got to be a point at some point in the future where God makes good on his very clearly stated unconditional promise and that they will inhabit this land and never again be removed from it. When's that going to happen? The millennial reign of Christ. When Christ comes again, rules and reigns, he will set up his kingdom and he will rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem and Israel will have expanded and said, you know what, all of you who have opposed me, I'm taking up all of your land. I'm going to have all of it. God is faithful, and he's going to give that to Israel one day. So why does Satan want to stop Israel? He wants to stop Jesus from coming back and ruling and reigning on, on, on the throne of Jerusalem. And if he can thwart any of that, if he can prevent this from happening, then he can, he can claim, ah, God is a liar. He promised these things, and he, he didn't do them. Now, I've got so much confidence in God's ability to do everything that he has promised. But he wants to stop that. Ezekiel tells us not only will Israel one day possess all of the land that God promised, it will come with a time of holiness and restoration for Israel. So what, where are we at in this all, all of this on the timeline of Scripture? The Scriptures tell us that even in their unbelief, God is going to bring Israel back to their land. Even in their unbelief. Even though they have yet to profess Christ as their Savior, he is still has a heart for Israel and is still going to bring them back to their homeland. What are we seeing happen? What have we seen happen since 1948 in our lifetime? You know, we have seen Israel reestablished in an, as a nation in 1948, and we see the people of Israel coming home. God is... God. God is not only faithful to his promises, he is faithful to every detail of those promises. So let's consider Ruth 1-2. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Here's the detail that I want you to notice in Ruth. The detail that I want you to notice is they didn't just say that they were from Bethlehem. They were what? Ephrathites of Bethlehem. This is, again, God is so specific that he's saying Bethlehem is a small town. But within that small town, there's an even smaller population of people. And this smaller population inside an already small town are the Ephrathites. And it's out of that very tiny small group of people that King David is going to come and ultimately the Messiah is going to come. Again, isn't that so God? That he sets up the stage where it seems impossible. It's like you've not only picked the, a tiny group of people through people from Bethlehem, now you're telling us specifically a small group within the, the Bethlehem called these Ephrathites. Now, where does that come from? What is the, who are the Ephrathites? What does that mean? Well, Bethlehem is the Hebrew name for the, 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 the city. 
It means house of bread. The city was known for producing wheat. You get a chance to look at Peggy's book. You know, she take, she's taken the roof and she drew in gold. Looks really cool. She drew gold wheat on the cover of her roof book. Before it was given the name Bethlehem, the city was called Ephrath or Ephrathah. Okay? An Ephrathite then is someone who can trace their lineage back to the person of Judah. And that would be, so Jacob and Rachel, they were traveling to Bethel, Bethel, uh, to Ephrathah. That's where they were headed. So really, if we, if we back this up even further, what I'm saying is there was still another journey to Bethlehem. It was Jacob and Rachel. They, were, they even precede this journey to Bethlehem. They're on their way there. That would be the first one. And on the way, Rachel went into labor. She died and gave birth to Benjamin. But I want you to listen to this prophecy. This is found in Micah chapter 5. It says, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. When God, when we read Ephrathite, God is saying, look, you, you're small. You are such a, a small number, but I want you to know that I'm going to protect that lineage, these Ephrathites, because it's out of you. The small group inside of Bethlehem, inside of Judah, that the Messiah is so specific in the details that he is saying, you will make no mistake of it when David comes, and you, you have no mistake when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, because they're both going to be coming. It's a very small, small, small number of people. So you can see why the death of Elimelech is concerning. He was an Ephrathite. Why would Satan want him dead? Why would he kill off his two sons? Because he was an Ephrathite. He would be able to fulfill Micah, the prophecy in Micah. We've got, something's got to happen. So you can imagine the devil was thrilled that day when Elimelech and his two sons passed. You know, they were thrilled to see that. They were like, oh, we have done it. If this is, if God was doing, planning on doing something through this family, we have eliminated, we have eliminated, eliminated Elimelech. Woo, that one's hard to say. Right? But God had a bigger plan. God has a bigger plan. 